he that in the fourth chapter the work of God had been stopped and uh, the enemy was successful temporarily in stopping the work of the Lord. And uh, when you talk about temporarily, the devil, devil temporarily uh, was successful. We're talking about 15 to 16 years. That's a long time on our calendar. But uh, with God, it's nothing. The main thing is that he did not get the ultimate uh, victory. Uh, but he did have a victory. Sometimes the enemy does, get, does have victories. He does. And sometimes the enemy does succeed in stopping the work of God. Uh, but not in the end. God will always prevail. So in the fourth chapter of the book of Ezra, in verse 24, then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased into the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And uh, if you take the time frames that are given in the book of Ezra, that will give you about 15 years. And I will do my best maybe next week to show you a chart laid out so you'll understand that time frame. But it's been about 15 or 16 years uh, since the work of the Lord has been stopped. And then we come to the fifth chapter. Okay? So um, quite a bit of time has elapsed between the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter. And, of course, the foundation has been laid and nettles and uh, all kinds of weeds have grown up around the foundation, so on and so forth. And then we come to verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jazadot, began to build the house of God which is at Jerusalem and with them were the prophets of God helping them. Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight for your glorious word. You're wonderful tonight. Thank you, God, for your presence and power. God, help me tonight to preach to this people in this house tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, so you have to exercise your imagination just a little bit tonight when you think about the foundation of the temple had been laid and then the enemies of, of God's people uh, stopped that work. And for 15 years, it's laid in that condition. Now, you leave something for 15 years, a lot of weeds are going to grow, nettles, thorn bushes. And, and basically, when you look at the foundation of the temple, it is desolate and it's been neglected. And what have the people been doing in the meantime? Well, Haggai particularly tells us what the people are doing during those 15 years. And that is that the people of the Lord have gone and they've built their houses and they've finished the building of their houses, so on and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with them going and building houses and... Uh, refurbishing their houses and nothing wrong with that okay but that's what they've been doing for 15 years the problem is that they neglected the house of God in doing their house you understand what I'm saying so it's it's okay I'm not the word of God doesn't uh, is not teaching against 
you have in the house built or refurbishing your home, working on your house. Uh, what it does teach us, though, is that we have to prioritize and that if you neglect the house of God, the things of God, and take care of your stuff, then there's a problem, okay? And so Haggai the prophet, as we see in Ezra 5.1, begins to prophesy after this period of time. So let's go over there to the book of Haggai and let's see what he's saying to the people. Praise the Lord. Now, Haggai and Zechariah, as we've read in Ezra 5, these prophets of the Lord are um, preaching at the time that the foundation has been laid and the 15 years have gone by, the work's been stopped, and they are the preachers at the time. Great, powerful preachers. Powerful preachers of God. Haggai is a prophet that you could say has his feet on the ground. Haggai is a prophet that deals with, uh, you might say, the measurement of things. He, he is the prophet that deals with the conscience of the nation. Okay? Zechariah, the other prophet that is prophesying at the time, is a prophet of vision and dreams. His head is in the clouds all the time. I wouldn't say all the time, but most of the time. And uh, so Zechariah's ministry, even though they're preaching at the same time, is a little bit different than Haggai's ministry. Haggai's ministry is uh, basically dealing with the conscience of the nation, where Zechariah's ministry is dealing with the heart of the nation or the emotions of the nation. So we have one, a prophet of vision. We have one that has his feet more on the ground, Haggai, in the sense that he doesn't see a lot of visions, okay? He's, he deals more along the practical lines of things. And uh, Haggai, when you study Haggai, we have Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, Haggai was a fireball. I mean, he was letting them have it, okay? Amen. <laughs> like Brother Timothy Contreras. But I'm, I'm Zechariah. I'm the kind preacher. And, and I, you know, I deal with the hearts of people and on an emotional level. And I'm the kind preacher. And then we ask Brother Timothy Contreras to get up here and preach. And he lets everybody have it. He straightens me out too. And, you know, so he would be Haggai. I would be Zachariah. In case y'all don't know. Okay. But, but Haggai, man, he's a straight shooter. I mean, he lets, lets them have it, all right? And he, you know, tells them, consider your ways. Uh, and so on and so forth. Zechariah, he's a prophet of vision and he deals at the same time to encourage the people of the Lord to build just like Haggai, just different styles of ministry. They're not the same. Okay? Now, if you look at Haggai chapter 1, the Bible tells us in the second year of Darius, the king in the sixth month and the first day of the month. So remember, we have in Ezra this same time frame, the second year of Darius. Okay? Fifteen years have come and gone. The foundation's been laid. Everything's grown up, weeds and everything. And then all of a sudden, there is a king change. We go from Cambyses, the son of Cyrus, who stopped the work, to a brand new king, Darius. And he's not the Darius in the book of Daniel. He's Darius the Great. And he's now ascended to the throne. And so we got a new king in the land. Okay? Ruling. 
And at that time, the new king, then we have these prophets come on the scene with the enthronement of this new king. We have the second year of Darius, the king, verse 1 of chapter 1. In the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. Now go to Zechariah. Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. You see that? So we're still in the second year of Darius. One is in the sixth month and one is in the eighth month. Haggai's in the sixth, Zechariah's in the eighth month. You see that? So that's the timing of their ministry. That's the time they start preaching. Now we look at uh, Haggai's ministry. Uh, he's connected in his, his book. The Bible says that the, uh, in the second year of Darius, the king in the sixth month, and the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel. Now, he's in the book of Ezra too, right? He's the governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest. Remember, these people are in the book of Ezra. Then verse 2, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So, the condition of the people then is one of lethargy. Lethargy. They're idols. Say with me, idol. They're idol. When it comes to God's work, God's house, they just idol. You understand that? And then, uh, not only do they have idol, are they idol when it comes to the things of God, but um, they are apathetic. They could care less. And then that's the sad condition of the people. I mean, 15 years before the foundation has been built, and then something's happened to them in 15 years, they don't even have the desire to build a house. Okay? They're apathetic, they're idle, and they're, I mean, they're, they're lethargic, they're idle and apathetic, and they don't care. And... You know, they're busy doing their own thing, building their own houses. And uh, let's see what uh, Zacharias says. There's a response is, it's not time to build the house of the Lord. It's just not time. Okay? Y'all with me? Well, look at what is that Haggai. Remember what I told you about Haggai. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you, O you, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Okay? Because you're saying it's not time to build God's house, but you have no problem with time building yours. Wow. I mean, that's God speaking through that man. You know? So you got you go up to somebody and say, hey, can you do something? Can you do a little work around the, around the church? I don't have time for it. Really? Oh, okay. But you got time to do everything around your house. The same, that would be the same approach. And the prophet says, consider your ways. Amen? <laughs> right. You're idle lethargic, you're apathetic, you don't care about the things of God, but you're over there working on your house and everything. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is the priorities are wrong. You see, because say they're saying one thing out of their mouth, it's not time to build God's house. Then the prophet says, okay, but you have time to build yours? See what I told you? He's got his feet on the ground and he's coming straight. He's not making anybody feel good. 
his Timothy Contreras right here. You know. That's why when, I, when he's going to preach, I don't tell anybody he's going to preach because nobody will show up for church. <laughs> Amen. Okay, verse 4. And I've already read that to you, right? Verse 5. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in a, into a bag with holes. He said, now, there, if you're neglecting God's house that way, it's causing loss for you. You're the loser. Get it? Because you're going and you're collecting a paycheck, but there's never enough. It's never enough. You, you just can't make ends meet for some reason. And your check keeps getting bigger and you keep making more money, but you just can't, ends just won't, you can't make ends meet. And that's what he's telling them. You just can't make ends meet no matter how much you make because it's like a bag with money and it's got holes in it just falling out the bottom. That means you're having, there's inflation problems in the land. And these inflation problems are coming from God. So no matter how much money you make, there's not enough because God, listen, is sending inflation to them. Alright? Everything's inflated. It costs so much to live and so on and so forth. So, He's telling them that you are losing when you neglect the house of the Lord. You're losing. It's your loss. Okay? Praise the Lord. And then he goes on down here and he says in verse 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Again, he keeps just reiterating, consider your ways. Consider your ways. That would be the theme of his message. And he tells them, go up to the mountains, bring wood, build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. This is God speaking. I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. God said, I blew upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man to his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I call for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, upon the corn, and upon the new wine, upon the oil, upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon men, upon cattle, upon all the labor of all the hands. Wow. They lost. It was their loss. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, they're going to get with it now. Hallelujah. They'll obey the voice of the Lord and go up there in the mountains and start getting wood down. And they get to it. And they start building the temple of the Lord. Okay? So that's Zechariah. And Zechariah, I mean, Haggai, and you turn and read Zechariah sometime in your pleasure. Uh, about his prophecy, what he said to the people at that time. Uh, amen. Okay, so go back over there to Ezra, please. So that's the condition of the people. And here comes the prophets. And, and God is going to send the prophets, particularly Haggai, to wake them up. Because they're asleep. They're idle, lethargic, apathetic. They don't care about the things of God. And they're suffering loss. And when that message goes forth, man, they're like little ants. Well, they start getting busy because they, they're tired of the inflation. They're tired of losing. They want prosperity. You start telling people they're losing their prosperity because they're not serving God right, they get busy. Oftentimes they don't put two and two together though. Amen? 
But the prophet put it together for them. So the reason why you're losing out and you're having problems making his meat because you've been neglecting the house of God. If you want to prosper, get busy serving the Lord. Get busy serving the Lord. Stop making him number two in your life. Make him number one in your life. Stop being lethargic and idle and apathetic, careless when you come to the house of God. When you come in here, this is God's house. This is, this is God's work. Come in here with a, with a zeal and a desire to, to serve God, to live for God, to do something for God. Because if you don't, you're losing. Amen? And I can promise you tonight, because I'm a pastor of this church, and I can tell you the people that are that are energetic and excited about giving to the Lord and serving the Lord, those people's lives are abundantly blessed. You get people that are that are lethargic in the things of God, man, they start losing, right? How many want to be blessed in your life? I want to be blessed. Amen. So we see in the fifth chapter in verse 1, we have these prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and they're starting to prophesy. So these, these are powerful preachers in the, the time of restoration. They are post-trauma preachers. They're post-exilic preachers. Okay, And they've been raised up by God to encourage the people of the Lord to get busy and to serve the Lord and to build this house. Okay? Amen. So... The preachers are going to be preaching. Prophets are going to be prophesying, right? Then verse 2. When this happens, when they start preaching, verse 2, Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek. This is the governor and the high priest, great high priest, began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. Do you understand that? Okay, so here they are. They're busy working. The prophets are preaching and they're prophesying and they're busy with the people uh, rearing up the house of the Lord, right? You with me? What this teaches you is, and I want you to write this down. Okay, what this teaches you is the principle of the gifts of God in incarnation. The, when God comes and He brings His gifts he brings His gifts in incarnation. You know what that means? Well, when you talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that means that God came in flesh. Okay, so there's a principle of incarnation here. Now, from time to time, maybe the enemy will come and tell you in your mind, you don't need to go to church. and You know, just stay home, read your Bible. Get a commentary that because that commentary he's, it's going to be a lot better and your preacher's going to preach anyway. So, so just get your commentary out and read read commentaries about the Bible and and don't go to church. I mean, you can have church at home. You don't need church. You don't need to go there. Just stay home. Stay home and pray. Stay home and read your Bible. Stay home and read commentaries and and learn that way or watch the radio preacher. You hear what I said? Watch the radio preacher. <laughs> You know, uh, and, and, and so the enemy will come to you. But see, what he doesn't tell you is that God operates in the principle of incarnation. That means that the gifts of God are incarnate. They're, they're fleshed out. Okay? He puts them in men. So what we see is when the prophets begin to prophesy, the gift of God is in them. 
but that gifting is incarnate. Okay? It's, it's in people. And so we have the people building and we have the prophets helping them and they're working together through the principle of the gifts of God in incarnation. Which simply means this, is that the people, okay, carried the burden of the prophet and the prophet carried the burden of the people. You can't, you can't have it any other way than that. Alright? So, when your pastor has a burden, guess what? You, you, you can't avoid uh, carrying his burden. Because it's the principle of incarnation. And the same way when the church has a burden, I can't separate myself from that burden because there's a principle of incarnation. That's why it is so important for you to have a church family that you can you can go to that church and there is a pastor that is in that church and there are people that are in that church and that's where you're going to find the gifts of God. The gifts of God are going to work through the principle of incarnation. Did I say it right? What's that other one where they think you're going to come back? Reincarnation. The way y'all was looking at me, I was thinking I was saying the wrong word. I had to catch myself to make sure I wasn't saying reincarnation. But <laughs> the principle of incarnation. It is very important for you to understand that because this is the way God works. So if the enemy ever comes and tells you you can just stay home and have church or if somebody tells you out there that that's what they're doing, you just load, just load their wagon. You just tell them, give them this big old understanding from the Word of God. They're going to look at you, it's going to blow their mind. You tell them, you are violating the principle of incarnation and then just walk off. And they come chasing you down and say, what does that mean? Well, you come to church and you'll find out. But because you don't think you need a preacher to tell you, you don't need a church to go to, you go home and you study the principle of incarnation and see what you come up with. If you want, if you want, if you want to know what that means, and you come to church and you're going to find it, it might not even be taught on that morning, but you're going to find it in the house because there's going to be a preacher there. There's prophets prophesying, preachers preaching, and the people involved, and they're all working together in that incarnation. That's the way the gifts of God operate. Amen. You know when the gifts of God are going to operate? When there's people around. When there's things that need to be done for the, for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's when those gifts are going to operate. How many of y'all are sitting in your house by yourself and all of a sudden you just start prophesying? If you do, if you're sitting in your house and you're by yourself and you, you just start prophesying or speaking in tongues and interpret your own tongues and there's nobody else around. Boy, that's unusual. Because normally the gifts of God work in this principle of incarnation within the body of Christ. Amen. Say praise the Lord. So do you understand why it's so important for us then to gather tonight? You need a preacher. You need a pastor. And, and I need a church. You need a church. We're working together to get the job done. So verse 2 tells us 
This gives us this principle of incarnation that the people are building Zerubbabel, Joshua, people are building the house of the Lord and then the prophets are there helping. I mean, they're, they're preaching, they're encouraging and everything's going up and God's work is getting done. Say amen. amen. That's the way God works. It doesn't work any other way. You start trying to bypass that principle of incarnation in your life, you're going to have big problems. You know? You say, well, I don't want the pastor to know about my burden. I don't want the pastor to know about my problem. Then you're bypassing a very biblical principle. The pastor is responsible to, to help you with your burdens. And you're also responsible to, you understand what I'm saying? To carry the burden of a pastor. They're not just coming to church and being religious like so many other churches are. They're coming to church, sit on a pew, you know, okay, you with me? Okay, I'm going to go to church today. And I'm going to sit down and I'm let the preacher preach and feed me. And I'm going to go home and I'm not even going to think about God or think about the church anymore or do anything. And then Wednesday night, I'll come back Sunday, come back Sunday morning. And that it's all about me just getting fed. No, no, no. It's about you being a part of the corporate body. It's about you being involved, serving God, living for the Lord. And, and if you're not, you're losing. You're losing. How many of y'all want to win? Want to win? Hallelujah. I told my wife before I walked in the door, I said, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to see if God wants me to tell these people, you know, anything. And I got, as soon as I hit the, hit, my, hit the floor, the Lord said, yeah, you got to tell them what's going on. You got to tell them. Well, that's the principle of incarnation at work. Hallelujah. Well, Jesus Christ was God come in the flesh. And what happened? It brought great suffering. To him. God coming in flesh and then going and dying on the cross, that principle of incarnation, God taking on himself the form of a man, brought great suffering to him. When you're involved in the work of God, it's going to bring great suffering. That's the principle of incarnation. That's how God works. That's how God works to save people. Amen? That's why I don't believe you can be saved without a preacher. The Bible says, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sent? In Corinthians, Paul says that God chose through the foolishness of preaching to save who? He didn't say to save the lost. God chose through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. If you're a believer, if you're going to be saved, you've got to have a preacher over you preaching the Word of God to you. Because that's what God has chosen to save the believer with is the preaching of the Word of God. Say amen. So He chose through the foolish preaching to save them that believe, but He didn't choose foolish preaching to save them that believe. He chose through the foolishness of preaching, not foolish preaching. we got a lot of foolish preaching preaching going on. God don't use foolish preaching to save anybody, but He does use the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Okay? Praise the Lord. So when we come in here, the principle of incarnation is at work. There needs to be some interaction. It shouldn't just be me up here talking. Respond. Amen. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Don't go sleep on the pew. Because when you go to sleep on the pew, you're in violation of the principle of incarnation. Gifts don't work if you're asleep. you got to be awake. You give... 
gift working through me, I got to be awake. You got to be awake for the gift to work through you. Say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I can't wait. Somebody not not long from not not too long from now, you're gonna somebody's gonna say, I I do church at home, and you're gonna tell them you're in violation of the principle of incarnation. And you're gonna come and you're gonna tell me what happened. I'm looking forward to that. That's gonna be that's gonna be good. Amen. So verse two tells us. Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua the son of Jazadek, to begin the house, build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. They're all together, uh, God's gift operating uh, in this corporate body as one man. Okay, verse three. Now here we go. The work's going on. It's succeeding. It's progressing. A lot's happening. It's going real well. Powerful preachers preaching. You know, can you imagine? Would it be awesome to have Haggai as your pastor? How would y'all like to have Haggai your pastor? It'd be awesome to have Haggai as your pastor, wouldn't it? Or Zachariah, you know. And and then y'all building the house of the Lord and everything's going real good and it's real successful. It's going fantastic. And there here comes a civil official. The governor shows up. Okay? And he wants to know what's going on here. What are y'all doing? Who's building this house? Now, I can look at it two ways. And I think because of some, maybe some of the company that was with him, I can see it as the enemy trying to stop the work again. But I can also look at this, just if you just look at the governor himself who shows up in the passage, he's probably just doing his job. He's, he's probably not a really a bad guy at all. He's just a civil official. He sees the temple going up, being built, you know. And he just wants to find out what's going on. What are you doing? And, and who whose names are involved with this? Where's the authority coming from to do this? Where'd you get your authority to do it? What are you doing here, you know? And, and I really think he's just doing his job. I don't think he's really a bad guy at all. Because as I look through the passage, we will find that God uses the questioning of this government official to turn out for the good of the people. Okay? Say amen. Alright, so let's find out then what, what happens here in the story. Okay? Verse 3, it says, At the same time came to them uh, Tatnae Tatnae governor on this side of the river so he's the governor he's a civil official and we have Shethar Bozana Bozana I mean I'm going to add all kinds of vowels to their names <laughs> you know uh, with him anyway and their companions and said thus unto them who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Where are you getting the authority to build the house and to make this wall up? And again, because he's a governor, he's a civil official, I really don't think he's a bad guy. He's just doing his job. Verse 4, Then said we unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this 
building. All right? Now in verse 9, it says, Then asked we those elders and said unto them, Who commanded you to build this house and to make up these walls? We asked their names also to certify thee. Do you understand? So the question is from the governing official here is, okay, what are you doing? And who gave you the authority to do this? Just doing his job, right? Uh, we have a new king on the throne. Is this the desire of this present king Darius for this to be going on? And he's just checking it out. Okay, he just happens to walk up one day and see it going on. All right. Okay, is this what the king wants? Okay, here we go. Now, uh, again, we will see that this will end up being for the good of the people and not the bad. Okay, verse 4, Then said we unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius, and then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. Amen. Isn't that awesome? They couldn't stop the work of the Lord because the eye of God was on them. That means His providence. I want you to think about this a minute because we get hung up sometimes on we want to see miracles. We want to see outward miracles from God. You know. And if we see an outward miracle from God, yeah, God's working. But there's sometimes that God doesn't work in outward demonstration. Sometimes God works in secret. That's called His providence. His secret, okay? Invisibly from heaven. You understand that? He's working. You just don't see demonstrations and miracles taking place. And because of this silent way of God called providence, Sometimes we don't think God's doing anything. You understand? Because we want a, the Shekinah glory cloud to show up. We want a pillar of fire to show up in a church or, the, or a glory cloud to show up or some outward visible miracle to take place. And then we can say God is doing something. But what we have here is simply the eye of the Lord on the work. The secret workings of God in silence with no miracles demonstrating power going on. But the reason why they were able to continue to do the work of the Lord was because of the silent, heavenly approach of God. He's still working, even though they couldn't see it. But they knew, they knew it was, the reason why it wasn't stopped was because God stepped in. And they just kept on doing the work. Amen. Well, I'm really tempted. I don't know if I should say. Hmm. Well, I can tell you this. I can put it to you this way. God has helped this church. When we first got this building, God helped this church. Praise the Lord. And I was in here one day and a civil authority came up and he's just doing his job. He walked in and uh, he looked at everything and he asked me a question. He said, when did y'all do all of this? I told him, I said, well, it was done within about a month's time. Really? Okay, you need to come down tomorrow and you need to make sure we get all of the, the uh, permits and everything in order. I said, no problem. I said, we were trying to get that done, you know, in the process, but we just couldn't, just couldn't get, seem to get on the same page with anybody and so on and so forth. So I went down the next 
day to try to get that all straightened out and nothing ever came of it. But he, he's kind of like this government official here. He just came by, check out one day, and he, I just happened to be here, and he walks in and he said, when did y'all do all of this? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That was, I'm telling you, my good God watching over us and helping us. And I, I told him, I said, I have no desire uh, to do anything, you know, wrong or whatever. I said, we're going to take care of everything we need to take care of to make sure we, you know, we're right with y'all and everything. And I went down there, talked to him, wasn't trying to avoid him or anything like that. Nothing ever came of it. You see what I'm saying? But God's good. That, that, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just give it to you like that. Hallelujah. But that silent approach from God really sometimes messes with us. Because we want them that powerful demonstration, miracles of God breaking out all around us, right? And if we don't have that, God's not doing anything. Really? Yes, He is. All right? Just the silent oversight of God. Making sure the work goes on. All right? You with me? So you don't think God's doing anything because you didn't have some explosion in of His power or, you know, glory showing up and angels standing in your foot of your bed. It doesn't mean that God's not directing your life or helping you or involved with anything. He's, he's involved. Everything's all right. It's okay, you know. I remember when I was seeking God, whether He wanted me to go into the ministry or not, you know. I, I went on a, about a four-day fast just to find out from God if he wanted me to go into the ministry. Four day fast. You know what I was waiting for? I was fasting for an angel to come to me. You know what I'm saying? Um, I thank God that, that my friend took me out to eat after four days. Because evidently God just, that wasn't going to be what he was going to do. He wasn't going to send an angel to me and tell me, you're called into the ministry. But that's what I wanted. I wanted an angel to come, you know, tell me. And I remember being in the conference, and Lee Stone King was preaching that conference, you know. Man, got powerful moves of God, you know, and everything. And I'm standing there, and I'm just looking at him. And Lee Stone King walks off the platform, and I'm, I'm just waiting. Okay, God, uh, I'm wanting to know if you call me into the ministry. But would you have Lee Stone King come over here and tell me that, that I am? And you know what happened? He stepped down off the platform and he walked right by me. He never even knew I was even there. But somehow I ended up in the ministry. I ended up in the ministry without an angel coming to me and telling me who I was. I didn't, at least Stone King didn't tell me I was. Just somehow, by the providence of God, you know, he spoke to me on the inside that I was to do this and it never went away. So I knew the fact that that desire to preach and pastor, it would never go away. It wasn't just an emotional thing because it stayed with me. I knew it had to be God. But that was just the providence, the silence. You understand? Without the miraculous. So if some of you are out there right now, I want an angel God to come and I want you to tell me what the next job is. I want you to come and help me, God. I want you to shake my bed at night. 
Well, it's probably not going to happen, especially in this age of the church, because this this that's happening in Ezra is a type of the church age. Where God is at times quiet and silent and unseen, but yet working behind the scenes. It's called the providence of God. He's always working. Hallelujah. He'll never let you down. Never let you down. Never let me down. Never, never, never. He may not be going the way you want it to. But never think that God's not doing anything. He is. He is. So they couldn't stop the work uh, because the eye of God was there watching upon them. Isn't that an awesome thing? Okay. So we have that governor coming um, and questioning them. One of the names in verse 5, but, then the, but the eye of their God was upon the elders. Say the elders of the Jews. That they should not cause them to cease. I thank God for elders. So you don't just have the prophets prophesying and um, the principle of incarnation working with the people. You have elders within that work of God that love God's Word. And because these elders love the Word that the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah is preaching, uh, Zerubbabel loves the Word of God. Joshua loves the Word of God that they're hearing preaching from these powerful men of God. They love it. The elders that are there love the Word of God and they're being motivated and because they love God's Word, they're involved in building. I thank God for elders in a church they love God's Word. Amen? It says, Upon the elders and could not stop the work till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. Okay, here we go. Now, the governor is going to send a letter to Darius. And the governor is going to say, uh, this is going on. The house of God's going on. It's real successful. I mean, they've got stones in place. They've got wood, wood in the walls, and, and it's going really great, you know. And it's successful. There's progress taking place here. And this governor is sending this letter over to Darius. Uh, Darius, is this your pleasure? Is this what you want? Is it okay for this to be going on? You with me here? All right. So I'll read you, read it to you, verse six. The copy of the letter that Tatane, you talk about a name, Tatane, governor on this side and his companions, the whatever they are, which were on this side of the river, sent unto Darius the king. You know what helps me? One of the greatest preachers I've told you that I've ever heard preach named Brother Edmund Dice. And, you know, in my mind, he could do no wrong and. He could do everything perfect. So I went over to his house one day and I said, Brother Dice, I'm having a hard time pronouncing some of these names of the Bible. Could you pronounce this for me so I can get it right? He said, I don't know how either. <laughs> uh, oh, really? You? You're the master teacher and you don't know how to pronounce these? Then I don't feel bad. I can get up and I can preach and not have to try to pronounce these names. Hallelujah. It'll be all right. You understand what I'm saying? If he couldn't pronounce them, then I didn't feel bad if I couldn't pronounce them. He's the best preacher I ever heard preach. 
You know, I can listen to these names pronounced. I can say so you get a you want to listen to the Bible on cassette or something like that, or you hear somebody uh, and they can pronounce these. I can hear them pronounce and get up and still not be able to pronounce it. Okay. Now I know you can, but that's me. I'm the one talking, and I'm the one that can't pronounce them. But they send the uh, letter over to Darius, and this is what's in the letter. Verse 7, They sent a letter unto him wherein was written, Thus unto Darius the king, All peace be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judah to the house of the great God, which is builded with great stones and timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on and prospereth in their hands. See that? The report is the success, the success of this building of this house of God from this governor, uh, civil official. In verse 9, Then asked we those elders and said unto them, Who commanded you to build this house and to make up these walls? We asked their names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men that were the chief of them. Okay? Who told you to build it? What authority? And, and who's responsible for this? I want you to notice something. The response of the Jews, they don't say it's the preacher. Well, our pastor told us to. Haggai and Zechariah, it's their fault. The reason why we're doing this is because they told us to, you know. They don't even mention Zechariah and Haggai, the preachers. They don't mention Zerubbabel. They don't mention Joshua either. They're going to respond back with a formal letter. And what is written in the letter is a pattern for the church today to follow. Okay? Why are you building this? Why are you doing this? Where do you get the authority to do this? Okay. And they sat down and they wrote the letter. And this is the way they responded. And it gives us a pattern. It's an awesome thing to see. Okay, you ready? Verse 11, And thus they returned us answer saying, Okay, the answer is, Why are you doing this? They're going to give the answer. The Scripture says, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and build... Okay, I'm going to stop right there. That's the, the answer to the next question. Okay, why are you building this? They don't say, Zerubbabel told them, Joshua told them, Haggai told them, Zechariah told them. They don't mention any of that. They say, we're doing this for the glory of God. We're doing it unto the great God of heaven and earth. The reason why we're doing it is to glorify Him. Do you understand that? Wow. The thoughtfulness of, the, of these people and then their ability to articulate it and put it on paper. We're doing it for God's glory. Okay. Well, why are we building this church? Why, why do we have a church here? Why are we doing what we're doing? It's for the glory of God. It's to establish 
a center where we can worship Him in spirit and in truth to glorify God because He's the God of heaven and earth. It's not because pastor told us to or anybody else said to. I mean, thank God for the ministry that God raised up, but they didn't use that as an answer. They said we're doing it because God, the greatness of our God, the God of glory. So when people come to you and they ask you why you live like you live, why you do what you do, don't say pastor told me. Are you kidding me? They're going to look at you. They, they're going to think you're in some kind of strange situation. The idea that anybody would ever listen to a pastor and do what the pastor tells them is like, to them, it's insane. Alright? You do what your pastor tells you to do? I don't. I do. I don't. Oh, okay. Well, then just don't say the pastor told you to do it. The reason why you're living like you're living is He's the great God of heaven and earth. And, and I'm serving Him this way because it's His way. It, I'm doing, I'm doing, the reason why I'm doing this is because there's a right way to serve God. I need to build His temple. I need to build His house. You understand that? And, and, and I'm not going to be able to worship Him in spirit and truth until I get this house built. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. For the, for the God of heaven. Hallelujah. It, it's, it's not a Ponzi scheme where people can make a bunch of money. That's not the motive for building the church of the living God. That's not the motive for having a church. It's to create a Ponzi scheme. It is for the glory of the King of heaven. That we do what? We do. Say praise the Lord, church. Hallelujah. I believe that tonight. If anybody asks you why you live like you live, you always respond, God. Why? Because this is the way we worship God. Why are you doing this? Because God tells us how to worship Him. God tells us what pleases Him. And because He's the great God of heaven, this is the way I worship my God. This is the way I serve my God. That's why I dress like I dress. That's why I go to church like I go to church. That's why I pray like I pray. That's why I serve Him like I do. Is because I worship Him. And He tells me how to worship Him. Okay? Wow, isn't that amazing? Well, some people say, well... Don't you do this? Don't you go to church and all these things to have a better life? And the ultimate answer to that question is absolutely not. It might bring a better life to you, and most of the time it does bring a better life to you. Amen? Oh boy, I got some of you really thinking. So you know, be careful before you start answering one way or the other. They, they, they didn't say to the governor, we're doing this because it's going to make us, a, it's going to give us a better life. No, they said to honor and glorify God. Okay, now, no, 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 I'm not disagreeing with you when you shake your head, yes, a better life. God does that. But look in Corinthians 15, please. Keep it placed in Ezra. 
Okay, and we're talking in First Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about the resurrection from the dead. How many of y'all come to church so you can have a better life? Amen. Well, most of the time when you leave here, you're not feeling too good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. Paul says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. He didn't say since I started preaching the gospel and I'm an apostle that I have, I have a better life now. He said, in fact, my life is most miserable. If in this life only we had hope in Christ, I would, we would be of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. You understand? So he says, the reason why we're doing what we're doing is because we serve a risen, living Lord. It wasn't to have a better life. That man was constantly in prison, constantly in shackles. Beaten with rods and stripes and in the sea for, for times, in the sea, cast out in the sea, at times hungry, at times thirsty, sometimes miserable in serving the Lord. And I say that to you tonight, especially the young people, because if you think living for the Lord is to give you a better life, you need to understand it's going to go contrary to your pleasure. It's hard to live for the Lord at times. It's very difficult and sometimes you're miserable when you're fighting for God. I can't tell you that all of my service for the Lord is always happy, happy time. Sometimes there is great difficulty, great struggle. But why do you keep doing it then? If it's not producing the better life for you and your family, then why, do you, why are you doing what you're doing? To glorify the great God of heaven and earth. I am a worshiper of Him. That's why I'm doing it. Do you understand that? Are you always happy? No. Sometimes miserable, but He's still God. You have a better life? Yeah, I'm sure I have a better life, but it's still fraught with warfare. Battle. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? So we need to understand why we do what we do. Why we serve Him the way we do. Why we live for Him the way we do. It's to glorify Him. Now, not long ago, in fact, just last night, Jeremiah... My son Jeremiah, not the prophet. He had to do a, a current event. And a current event is simply take an article out of the newspaper and condense it down to about a paragraph and explain what you read. So he took this um, article out of the newspaper called, what was it, the title? Okay, it had to do with uh, atheists are building churches now. Atheists are building churches now. Okay? Uh, for those who believe in not believing. <laughs> that was in the article. They're building churches for those that believe in not believing. And the reason why they're building these churches, alright, 
And they're, they're taking up offerings. How much money? Is it 800000 or is it $8 million? $800,000. They're trying to take up an offering for $800,000 so they can start other little atheistic churches. Okay? For people who believe in not believing. And you know what their goal is in that atheistic church? What is their motto? Live better. Live better. He, you told me on the way to church. Live better. Help. Help more. Think often. Yes. Okay. Live better. Help more. Think often. So we got, and you read the article, and even the atheists talked about the church and the good things that are in the church. And they say we miss the corporate meetings of people and, and the benefits that come from people gathering together as a corporate body. You know, they say there's benefits to that. Correct. And they say we want to do this so people can live better, help more, and think often. And they don't believe in God. And I told him on the way up here, I said that fits perfectly what I'm going to say in a part tonight is that we don't do what we do to live better, help more, and think often. Because the atheists are popping up churches all over just for that reason. Hear your pastor tonight. Jesus said, through great tribulation, you must enter into the kingdom of God. Great tribulation. That means great pressure. Great stress. It's not easy to live for God. Okay. Do you get it? Why are you doing what you're doing then? We have to follow the pattern that's laid out for us in this book while we're doing it. Is this helping anybody? Well, everybody wants to live the good life, they say. Right? Everybody. Everybody's looking for joy. Everybody's looking for a better life. But that's not why we come to church. I do believe God gives us a better life, but that's not the reason. Because what do you if you're miserable? You gonna quit God? What if things are not going your way? You're gonna quit God? You're gonna quit serving him? No, because the whole reason I'm doing this is to glorify him. You know, I remember re watching movies a long time ago, man. They were like made in the 70s, Thief in the Night, Distant Thunder, Image of the Beast. Y'all remember seeing those? I showed them to you years ago, watching those movies, you know. And this young girl betrayed some friends that were Christians to the government, you know, and they were fixing, fixing to get their heads cut off. And you can hear the lies of the devil through that young girl saying, pleading with their friends, why would you give your life to a God you can't even see? Why would you give your life for a God you can't even see? That's demonic wisdom. Why, why do you live like this? Why do you suffer like you do? 
And he comes to him and he says, you do this for a God you can't even see. He's the great God of heaven and earth. You, you can hear the devil talking. He's going to come to you with a pretty face on. Some, some, I just feel in the Holy Ghost, some good looking guy come up and talk to you or some pretty girl come up and talk to you and bring you all kinds of philosophy. You take it. Because in your mind, you're thinking, I should be having a better life. But it gets hard. So if I bring clarity to you tonight, hallelujah to the Lamb. So the Lord spoke that particular verse to me yesterday. If Christ be not risen from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. Now is Christ risen from the dead. We become the first fruits of them that slept. You understand that? I love the Lord, don't you? Alright, so somebody comes to you and they say, why are you doing what you're doing? Now you know. You got the answer. You have the answer. Real brief, real short. You serving God because you're making more money? No. Serving God because you're blessed. We are blessed but not serving God for that. You're serving, serving God because you have a better life, helping more, thinking often. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But, but you see, I mean, an athe atheist get together and they say, there's some benefits about people getting together, like church. I mean, we're not going to sing like they do. We're not going to worship like they do. We're not going to preach like they do because we are the people who believe in not believing. <laughs> Okay? But we want to help people have a better life. You know? Man, I'm going to be honest with you. Some of your teachers, I don't see oh, that y'all can read those current events and some, they just, some of that news bores me to tears. But he brought that one to me last night and, and I, I'm going to read this. <laughs> he did a good job. Did a good job. You take a little more time and learn how to spell and <laughs> punctuate. And he always, I don't know what the problem is, church, but he always blames me for his, his ability to spell. <laughs> he can spell something. He said, that I, get my I get it from my daddy's genes. And I don't know why. I mean, y'all, haven't you noticed how I spell angel? I spell angel angle. So I don't know what he's even talking about, but you get it, don't you? But sometimes he pretty good things to read, and that was helpful for me to preach to you tonight. It helped me preach to you tonight. Because sometimes, how many of you would be honest with me? Sometimes it is hard to live for the Lord. It is. I know the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard in a different way. We are striving. We're agonizing for righteousness. And that's, so that's the answer they gave. They didn't say the pastor told them, Haggai, Zechariah, Zerubbabel, Joshua. They said, because we serve the great God of heaven and earth. Why are you doing this? Answer, okay, well, what are you doing? Now you've explained why you're doing it, but what are you doing? Now they explain what they're doing. And they say, what we're doing is we're rebuilding. There was a temple that was built here long ago by a great king, Solomon. In our past, in our history, listen to me. 
in our history. This was a great temple built by a great king. That's what we're doing. We're rebuilding that temple. They knew their history. See? The Word of God, they heard the prophets prophesying and preaching. They had the Word of God to inspire them. They knew why they were building the house of the Lord. But they also knew history. That's why from time to time, without even really even realizing it, I get up and I tell the church the history of this church. Where we've been. Where we've come from. Some of the things we've gone through in the process. I do that so that you'll be in touch with history. It is important for you to know the history of your church. And they knew the history of their church. And they said, what, what we're doing is we're building that. Okay? Say praise the Lord. Now go on, read. I'll, I'll read it to you. And we build, and build the house that was built these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. They knew their history. Well, if he built that temple in the past, then why do you need to build it? What happened to the first one? Why do you need to build this? If you had one built in the house in the past, this house built in the past, why do you need to build it now? And notice their honesty. Notice their honesty. Okay, you with me? Are y'all awake? But after that, in verse 12, that our fathers, say our fathers, provoked the God of heaven unto wrath. He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away unto Babylon. Why do we need to build it? Why are we building it? The great God of heaven. What are you doing? We're built, rebuilding what was built in the past. Why do you need to build it? Because our fathers sinned against God. And we were carried away captive into Babylon. And this, that house, that former house, it was destroyed by fire. The wrath of God came down. Because of the sins of our fathers. You understand? I love the honesty of the Jews. Out of everything they could have written in this letter to the king, they said, the first one, Solomon's temple was destroyed because of the sin of the people. That's why we need to do it. Because of the false worship. You understand what I'm saying? So you can't... I, when I talk to you about the history of a church, I can't just tell you all the good times. I've got to get up and I've got to tell you hard times. I've got to tell you times when church, the church went through hard, hard situations and, and, and this happened and that happened, okay? To know the history of the church is to know also not just the good times, but the very difficult times. Maybe you might call it the bad times. You have to remember the history. Because if you don't, you will think, I can't go to that church because it's having trouble right now. Are you kidding me? They are telling the king they've had trouble in the past. But we're building it because it's, the God, it's God's house. They didn't try to hide the history. They told the history. 
God came in and He judged that situation because of the sins of our fathers. He poured out His wrath on that. Why do we need to build the church today? Why do we need to build the church? Because we know that the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon this world. That's why we're building. That's why we're winning souls. That's why we're telling people the gospel. That's why we're preaching. That's why we have a church. Is because we know God's wrath is coming on this world because of our Father. Who is your daddy? Adam. Because of Adam's sin in the garden. It brings the wrath of God upon the world. The, the soon coming wrath of God. They experienced the wrath of God in their day because of sin. And they said it was because of their father's sin. Why are we building a church? Because we are in and a part of a fallen humanity. And this fallen humanity, according to Romans, is in the wrath of God. That every day and every hour that, that any individual is in sin. They're in the wrath of God. That means His wrath is active right there in that moment until they repent. Why are we building this church? Or why, let me rephrase it again. Why do we need to build this church? Because I have to stand up here as a preacher and you have to stand out there as a witness and you have to tell people God's wrath is coming on this world because of the sin of Adam and the sin that's in your life. He's going to judge it. And that's why we need to build the church. To let people know the wrath of God is upon sin. Because the sin of Adam. But to also let them know when you see us building this, it's a testimony that God saves the sinner. We've experienced His wrath, His judgment because of the sins of the Father. But look at what God is doing. God is restoring. God is building. God is saving sinners. So when they ask you, why do you need to do what you're doing? The wrath of God abides upon sinful man. Because of the sin of Adam. And it is because God saves sinners. That's why we need to do what we're doing. And the next question is, why can you do it? Why can you do it? Why can you do it? They answer the question. Look. Verse 13. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon. Say, but. Here we go. Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same, same king Cyrus made a decree to build this House of God. Where'd you get the authority to do it? Why are you doing it? Amen. What are you doing? Why do you need to? Why can you? The fourth one is, is because there was a decree made from Cyrus to build this house of God. A decree? Show us the decree. Where's the decree of Cyrus that told you to build this house? That Persian king whose son Cambyses stopped the work and now we have Darius, another Persian king sitting on the throne. We, we want to know. Tell us why you can do this. 
The king gave us a decree to do it. Well, show us the decree. They don't have an official paper. They don't have an official document in their hand that they can go up there and they can show to this governor who in turn will give this, is going to give this letter to, the, to Darius. So what they do is, they just tell him, there's a decree that was right. Really? This very thing, you see, is going to work for the good of the church. Because had the governor not questioned them in the beginning, no search would have been made for a decree. But because there's been a question asked about the building of this place, there is going to be the searching for a decree they didn't even know existed. Do you understand that? So that God is going to use it for the good. That is why you have to always remember your position in Christ and not get distracted by your condition in Christ. Because you are positionally in Christ. You are in Him. You are saved. But when you look at the condition around you, you start getting mixed signals. Mixed signals will come to you. It comes to me. I have to remember my position in Christ and not get distracted by my, my condition. The condition that's around me. Because God is working in the only way that God can work. Okay? Doing things that we wouldn't understand in the moment. We have to trust Him. And sometimes when somebody's questioning the building of God's kingdom, it doesn't look good. But it's going to produce something good. Awesome. That, that's why you and I have to be very careful when we judge situations or conditions in our life as being bad or good. Because we don't know what God, if you will, is up to. He knows. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully, okay? In order to get idols out of the people of God, He sent them to the land of idols so they would become sick of idols. One day in the wilderness, they, got, they started complaining about manna that He was giving them. They said, we want some meat. We want flesh. You know what God did? God gave them what they want, wanted. But He sent leanness in their souls. He sent so, many, so much quail, it started running out of their nostrils. They were throwing up quail. See, when God comes to judge something, sometimes He doesn't take away. Sometimes He gives you what you want. You want idols? I'll send you to a land of idols till you become cured of idolatry. I will purge idolatry out of you by putting you in the land of idols. You want to murmur and complain that you, you don't have it good enough serving God? You want, it, you want flesh? God said, I'll give you so much flesh you're going to be sick of it. Sometimes He gives you want what you want till you're throwing up with it. And then you say, Lord, I, would you forgive me? I, I want you. I, I, got, I got what I wanted and I found it. It didn't satisfy me. You understand? So that's why you have to be careful. Something. You want to judge something? All right, they're out of the will of God. God's fixing to come down on them, judge them, take everything they got. You don't know that. Nor do I. He might give them everything they want till they get throwing up sick. 
You want the world? He said, I'll give you the world until you, th you throw up from the world. To show you the world is not the way to go. You understand what I'm saying? So you've got to be careful about judging the situation. Just remember your position in Christ. I'm a child of God. Condition doesn't look too good, but God's doing something. I don't understand, but God's doing something. Christine was talking to me on the way to the church, and I'm almost done. Talking to me on the way to the church about two mysteries. The mystery of iniquity and the mystery of godliness. And the mystery of godliness is that inner holiness and inner walk with God that you have. It's a mystery how God works in our lives and how God is working in and through our lives. The mystery of godliness. I'm not just talking about God coming in flesh. It's about a godly lifestyle and the mystery of that in your life. And also the mystery of iniquity. Death already worked. Why do people do what they do? It's a mystery. But it's the mystery of iniquity. So when you stand up, okay, they could have looked at this situation and said, oh, here we go. This governor's asking questions. It's a bad thing. You know, with this thing's fixing to get shut down. God's going to use it for the good of His people. And before it's all over, and I'm not going to preach the sixth chapter, even though the sixth chapter goes with the fifth chapter. Aren't you glad I'm not going to preach that tonight? Because I wanted to. I'm prepared to. I can. I prepared both these chapters because they go together. But before we get through with this, you're going to see that this man is going to, Darius is going to put a decree on it. And it is a strong decree to allow them to build. It would not have happened if somebody didn't question what was going on. In Jesus' name. He's still God! He's still God! There's nobody like Him. And for me to sit around and try to figure it out and reason it out and try to, try to determine what is going to be the outcome is total foolishness. You don't know. Unless God comes and, and says and tells you the outcome. You don't know the outcome. He can reverse any situation. That's what He's doing in this passage here. He's reversing something. They were in captivity for 70 years. Man got sick of idolatry. And you never read after they returned back to the land of Israel that they ever served idols ever again. God purged them of idolatry by putting them in a land of idols. He's completely reversing the situation here, okay? He can do it. He can reverse it. But you, we have to trust God when we don't see Him. When the glory cloud don't show up in your house or the pillar of fire by night or you don't shake your bed at night, throw you out, tell you what to do. Get impatient. Come on, God. Why don't you get in here and do some impatient people? want God to do it right now, your way, how you want. Are you funny? He didn't ask you what you thought. He's probably not even talking to you today. And He don't have to. Amen? Chris and I were talking about this the other night, you know. If we're not careful, we start praying, we start demanding God. God, do this and do it this way. And Are you funny? You're going to tell God what to do and how to do it? we got a problem. 
Amen. Amen. To trust Him. We have to trust Him, don't we? Yes. Me too. Have to trust Him. Yes. Have to trust Him. Yes. How many of you trust Him tonight? I trust Him. I trust Him. Will there be anybody here tonight you want the world? God may give it to you till you're throwing up sick of it. And when you come back, you're going to come back for real. You're not going to come back because you missed this person or that person or this or that in your life. You're going to come back because you have had, you're sick of the world. It makes you sick. You, you want, you want uh, a lifestyle without holiness? All right, he'll let you put on makeup till you look like a clown. Because you won't even remember how to put it on. If God saves you and redeems you and brings you into holiness and you start trying to put that stuff on, you, I promise you, you're going to put lipstick on here. You know what I'm saying? Because you're just going to look like a clown. You want, you want makeup? He said, all right, just go for it. Just paint yourself up. We, we don't even know if it's the back of your head or the front of your head. You got so much makeup on, we see you, you see makeup on the back of your head. We think that's your face. Praise the Lord. You backslide, you go into the world, you want to go to the dance halls and everything, and when you get there, you're going to dance like a Pentecostal. You don't fit. You don't fit. You know what I'm saying, man? That's the truth. But you wanted it. And God said, okay, I'm going to let you have it. I'll give it to you. You want him so bad, you leave. You want her so bad, you leave. God, I'll give her to you until you get sick of her. You throw it up at the thought of her. Oh, you don't play with my God. That's why you can't judge it. He'll take situations and you think it's bad. He'll take those situations and make people run to Him. I trust Him. I trust Him. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to serve my God. You go ahead. You just go right ahead. You go right ahead. You go right ahead. Hallelujah. And I'm going to act like nothing's... You won't even be able to tell. Hallelujah. Because I'm going to still be the same person. I'm still going to be happy at home. I'm still going to be happy in my God. You with me? See? I'm just, praise the Lord, there's situations that, that happen to you. You just can't let the devil win. You just can't, you can't, you can't let the devil rejoice. You can't let him salivate and sit there and take control of a thing, you know. No, my God's in control. He tries something. He over, you know that old statement we preached to you before? He over, always overplays his hand. He always pushes it too far. 
He always does. My God's in control. Sovereignly. But sal silently in His providence. The question that they thought might have shut the whole thing down was the thing that would bring the blessings of God. Because He has the ability to reverse any situation. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you're facing right now. That's the God you serve. If you just trust Him. But you've got to be faithful. It doesn't happen overnight. You plant a seed in the ground, you can't expect it to be a tree tomorrow. You plant the seed, it may take years before you see the fruit of faithfulness. Just remain faithful to the Lord. Trust Him. It's going to be alright. How many of y'all love the Lord tonight? Hey, 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 listen to me. I know, I know, I feel in my spirit some of you have great care and great concern for, for me and my family and you love us a lot and you're really concerned right now and you're hurting, you know, for us. But I want to tell you something, don't hurt. Don't hurt. Rejoice in God with me. Will you do that? There's no need for you to hurt. There's no need for you to, to carry things you don't need to carry. You let God carry these things. You let God work these things out, okay? If you if you want to pray for us, I really appreciate that. But don't 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 get there. Don't let it take you down. All right. You hear what your pastor's saying? I know you love us. I just feel God's speaking to somebody right now. Don't let it get you down. Keep your head up. Amen. God's good. God's good. If He did it before, He can do it again. Hallelujah! In the name of Jesus. Appreciate you. Why can we? Why can we build the church? Well, we got a decree from Cyrus. We're going to have to go check and look for it, but we got a decree from the king. In closing, why can we build the church? Because we have the power of the Holy Ghost. When God fills us with the Spirit, with His Spirit, fills us with the Holy Ghost, the power of His Spirit, the power of His Word, the power of His name, that's why we can do what we're doing. That's why we can build the church. We can't build the church in our own efforts and our own abilities. The reason why we can is say with me the Holy Ghost in power. Holy Ghost in power. Amen. Maybe I'm not sure the Bible doesn't say that maybe the prophets of God, because the Bible says they were working together with them. Maybe the prophets of God sit down and help them write this letter.